This is our series, Desecrated, The Faces of Sin. In this series, we will examine the perverse and pervasive nature of sin as we explore specific Old Testament narratives. We will see the many faces of sin and not just view sin in a one-dimensional way, but see its multifaceted nature. Uh, well, uh, so glad to be with you guys. Uh, I really am. I, I consider this a ridiculous uh, privilege. Uh, my family's from Louisiana, uh, called Philadelphia uh, home. Spent a lot of time there. Had a lot of uh, uh, very important occurrences happen in my life there. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you uh, come from a place like Louisiana, Philly, uh, like when you have an opportunity to do something crazy, like you feel like, yo, like, like we made it, like, like my city made it, you know what I'm saying? And uh, yo, Sojourn got a reputation out in this piece. Like, it's a big time opportunity to be able to preach at this wonderful church. So I feel like, yo, like, like I'm here. Like, I can't believe this is happening, yo. Um, and what's crazy is uh, me and uh, uh, Pastor Jamal, like we've been talking about doing something like this for a minute. Uh, never got a chance to get it done. So it's been a long time coming. So I am just so, so uh, deeply from the bottom of my heart, so thrilled to be uh, with you guys and, and being the, uh, given the honor to preach. I don't take that lightly at all. Uh, another thing I want to say is that uh, my family is not here. Uh, y'all saw the, the picture of my family on the screen. Uh, and I always want to honor my kids, uh, Aaron, Zipporah, uh, Jonathan, Hadassah. Uh, but the one who is the most important, and they know this too, uh, is my wonderful wife, Brittany, uh, the finest thing on two legs, most brilliant and godly person I know. Um, and so uh, even though they are not here, I never know when they're able to watch it or anything like that. I never want to go anywhere uh, without honoring God uh, for the wife that he has given me who has been such a supportive and helper and, and lover of my soul. And so can we just praise God for my wife? She's not standing here, uh, but she is the one who uh, is supporting me uh, to be able to be here uh, with you guys. And then last uh, but not least, uh, I just want to thank God for your leaders here. Uh, I know a few of them. Uh, got a chance to interact with a few of them, and they're just godly, godly men and women. Uh, but in a particular way, I just want to thank God for uh, Pastor Jamal. Uh, he's become like, become like a brother to me, uh, one of those dudes that, like, uh, we can laugh, we can cry. Um, but when you talk about men that you admire, uh, not because of their gifting alone, but because of their godliness. Uh, this is one of the most godly and humble men I've ever interacted with. And when you have leaders who are both gifted and godly, that's something worthy of celebrating. So can we just praise Jesus for your leaders, uh, gifted and godly uh, leaders. Uh, praise God for you. Uh, praise God for this church that's supporting us. Um, well, like I said, we're going to be in Zechariah 9, 9 through 13. She has already read the text. And so for those of you who are taking notes, I'll just give uh, the title of the sermon here. Uh, the title of the sermon is Rejoice, the King of Glory is Coming. <laughs> Rejoice, the King of Glory is Coming. And I want to just say from the offset, I know I got some Reformed brothers and sisters in here. Uh, amen. Uh, I like that Reformed theology too. Uh, but I need some Pentecostal celebration on the back end of the theology, all right? <laughs> and I think the text is actually going to pull us into that direction. So why don't you just join me uh, in a word of prayer before we begin? Father, I am just so grateful to be amongst your people. 
There are places in the world that we cannot gather, especially not a gathering this large, publicly, to celebrate the name of our risen Savior, and yet here we can do that. Thank you. Lord, I'm so grateful and honored to be in the midst of godly people, people hungry for your word, hungry for righteousness, hungry for godliness. And people filled with your spirit, God, I just say thank you for this church. But at the same time, I know as godly as men and women can be, we have all been hit with the effects of sin. We're doing a whole series in it because we've all experienced the effects of sin. And there's no one under the sound of my voice who has not been hit by it. So God, that makes us needy, desperate. And God, you know each and every individual personally. I do not. And that is why I do not come up here alone, but we lean on you. So, Father, send your spirit in this place in a profound and clear way. Lord, if you do not show up, this is nothing better than a TED Talk. Your people don't need a TED Talk, Lord. They need gospel-driven, transformational preaching. And yet, Lord, I can't transform a person. I feel my weakness. And in the world's eyes, that is horrific news. But I thank you, Lord, that in your gospel, it is not. It is good news. For when I am weak, you prove yourself to be strong. My God, my rock, be my strength this morning. Fill this place with your spirit so that we might see believers sanctified and unbelievers saved. We love you so much, and we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people say, amen, 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 amen. amen. Rejoice, the king of glory is coming. I didn't plan uh, when Pastor Jamal had uh, spoken to me about coming and preaching on Palm Sunday. I didn't know what the circumstances in the world would be, uh, but as you can see, there's a lot of warring, and this text is going to be highlighting this idea of war. So it takes us back to World War II, and on June 6, 1944, over 160,000 soldiers embarked upon Normandy, France to defeat Nazi Germany once and for all. It's what we would call what? D-Day. It's one of the most important invasions in human history. And 9,000 soldiers were lost that day, but over 145,000 soldiers went on to successfully bring down the Hitler-led regime. What's interesting is that there are 336 days from the day that they embarked upon Normandy, France, D-Day, and the day that they finally defeated Nazi Germany, V-Day. Yeah. D-Day. The day they showed up, the day of their arrival came with it a full assurance of victory. 
So much so that April Cheeks Messier, a World War II veteran, when he's asked the importance and significance of D-Day, he said this, had D-Day not occurred, certainly Hitler's final solution would have been complete. And then he goes on to say this, this is why it is so critical that we historically remember on these occasions why we are here today. I ask this question, do you know why we're here today? Do you know why you're here today? And I don't just mean today is in Sunday, the Lord's Day. I mean today is in Palm Sunday. Do you know the significance of this day? For around 2,000 years ago, first century Jews believed that they were experiencing their own D-Day. The king was coming into Jerusalem. And they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They waved palm branches around. They laid their coats down, all because they believed that with this king's mere arrival came the full assurance of victory. But over which enemy? They believed it was over their enemy Rome. But this king had a different enemy in mind. Nevertheless, we have to ask the question, why would they believe this moment was so significant? Why would they wave those palm branches around? Why would they lay their coats down? Why would a man with no earthly title be deemed a king? I want to take you back some 500 years before that moment in history to Zechariah. Around 520 B.C., he's writing to the people of Israel. And you got to imagine yourself being the people of Israel hearing these words. People of Israel have gone through all types of pillaging because they are being punished by God. God punishes them by pillaging them through the Philistines. God punishes them by pillaging them through the Amorites. God punishes them by pillaging them through the Jebusites. God punishes them by pillaging them through the Babylonians. God punishes them by pillaging them through the Assyrians. And now the Persians are occupying their land. They finally just got home. After all these prophecies, you're going to return to your homeland. You're going to return to your homeland. They finally get home, and then there's a decree given. You can go ahead and rebuild your temple. There's celebration and excitement, but what do we know always comes on the heels of a good day? Awful opposition. The Persians are opposing the work of God. And instead of remembering the promises of God, they give in to the opposition. But slowly but surely, they begin to give off on the work that God has called them to to do. Have you been there? Work that God has called you to do, 2022? Maybe the pandemic has pillaged you, Mm. feeling weak, distraught, in despair. You're trying to figure out, man, how do I get my strength back? How how do I get that that, that idea that God is going to be with me back? Here it is. How do I reclaim hope? You felt that before? Here's Zechariah's word to the church in that day. And I'm just going to bite off of his word so I can give it to the church in this day. He says, if you want to find hope, 
Hope is only found in the coming of this future king. So now he gives a call to the people to rejoice. Now the king ain't showed up yet. (laughs) And yet he still, he says rejoice. And for those of us who know who this king is, surely we can rejoice because we know he already came. Yet and still, this text is going to beg the question, who is this king of glory? I hope by the end of this text, you will have your answer. Two points in this text. First off, rejoice because of what this king will be like. Second point, rejoice because of what this king will do. First point, rejoice because of this king's identity. Second point, rejoice because of this king's activity. We first off look at rejoicing because of his identity. Pick me up in verse 9. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. That's the mandate in the text. Amen? Somebody say rejoice. Rejoice. Say it one more time. Say rejoice. Rejoice. Say it like you mean it. Say rejoice. Rejoice. All right, check it. You got to remember, you're the people of Israel. Fifth century around B.C., You've just been pillaged again, opposed again. And here comes this wonderful promise of hope that what? God is serving an eviction notice to your enemies. I don't know if anybody's been bullied. Check it. When the bully gets expelled, we know that the victim always excels. Mm. But notice the text. It does not say breathe a sigh of relief. Mm. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't say let out a, taking a deep breath and let out a, glad that's over. No, why? Because this text is primarily not about who's leaving town, but who's coming into town. Mm. So instead of saying breathe a sigh of relief, he says, nah, use your outside voices Open your mouth, shout aloud, rejoice, your king is coming to you. Mm. And I think we got something to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is beautiful stuff right here. This is amazing stuff right here. Because Reformed brothers and sisters again, raise your hand if you just like in that number. Like, yeah, that's me. You calling me out? Come on. We like to be real quiet in service. (laughs) A little bit, right? This text ain't a suggestion. (laughs) I think we literally read texts like this and like, all right, we'll leave that to the black church. (laughs) No, this is a command. Mm. Yes, sir. And what's beautiful is I believe that God in his sovereign economy has set up stuff like football and basketball games. Amen. To give us a picture of how we should shout at a wonderful victory. Mm. There is a time to pick up a pen. There's a time to open them pipes. Yes, sir. There's a time to take notes. And there's a time to make noise. And this text is saying that the time to make noise is now because your king is coming to you. Can we just rejoice in this place right now? That it's not? Yeah. 
Now, the reason why you might not naturally shout is because you don't get who the you is in the text and who the king is in this text. Mm. Remember, this is a rebellious people. Anybody rebellious? <laughs> this is a stubborn people. Anybody stubborn? This is, a, use the old King James version, a stiff-necked people. Anybody stiff-necked? And the text, notice it, uses the possessive. It is not their king is coming to you striking fear. It is your king is coming to you bringing hope. Can I just say something real quick to y'all? Y'all with me? I want you in your mind right now, think of like the most exciting person, most famous person that you can think of that you, on your bucket list, you would love to meet this person. <laughs> Go ahead and get him in your head. I told first service, like, for some of you, it's Justin Bieber. You already had it in your head right there. <laughs> and like, where are my black men at? <laughs> Some of y'all, it's him too, like for real. <laughs> you ain't tell nobody, but it's him. <laughs> for me, my bucket list guy to meet is Chris Paul. Favorite point guard in the world. One of my favorite players of all time. And I'd like literally daydream about meeting Chris Paul one day. But can I tell you something? Even in my wildest imagination, whenever I envision meeting Chris Paul, I always envision meeting him on his turf. Mm. I always envision meeting him at a basketball game. Literally, like, Barry Sanders mode, I juke past the first security guard, the second went, yo, Chris, what's up? I'm recap. We can be best friends. <laughs> or like at a book signing or something. I never envision. Chris Paul coming to my city, coming to my door, and eating at my table. Mm. But this text is not proclaiming to you that there's a wonderful king that you got to get to. The text is proclaiming to you that there's a wonderful king who loves you enough to come and get you. Yes, sir. Amen. So what is this king like? Who is this king of glory? Three things he wants you to know about this king. He's majestic. Say majestic. Majestic. He's moral. Say moral. Moral. And he's also humble. Say humble. Humble. Look at how he's majestic. The text says that he is indeed the king, the one who sits on the throne. The king. Majestic. Royal. Coming to you. But it also says that he's moral. It says that he is righteous and victorious. ESV version, I think, gets a little bit closer to the sense of what's happening here. It actually translates it that he is righteous and having salvation. Think about that. He's righteous, but you get salvation. Mm. Say it a different way. Because he is righteous, he can afford to extend salvation. Mm. And what does that teach you about this king? It teaches you that this king is gracious. For he does not hoard his morality from us in greed, nor does he, hoard, does he, uh, does he hold his morality over us in arrogance. But rather, hear me, saints, he leverages 
his morality for us in mm. grace. Well, that's a different kind of king. Yeah, he's good, but he gracious too. And there's another sense in this text that I think is a little bit more beautiful. It's not simply that he's saying that this king is going to come and bring a gift of salvation. Rather, the text is saying that salvation is like his aura. Ooh, I like that. I was just with uh, uh, Pastor Dave Owens uh, at Pastor Jamal's house. Anybody know Dave in the building? Just raise your hand. You know Dave. <laughs> All right. Oh, he's in, yo. <laughs> Hey, side note, he was like, are you going to use Pastor Jamal as an illustration? I'm like, nah. <laughs> Had another guy in mind. <laughs> no, nah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, like, literally come over to the crib and, you know, we eating dinner and all that. And from the moment he was in the crib to the moment that he left, I never stopped laughing. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around people like that, but he's just cracking jokes the whole time, and they're actually funny, you know what I mean? <laughs> like some of you are cracking jokes all the time, and you like, you know, it's that forced smile, so your, your muscles start hurting. Like, <laughs> no, like, really funny dude, man. And you know what people say about people like that? They say that they light up a room with their smile. Whew. Why? Because they have a joyful aura. Mm. This text is saying that this king who is coming will not light up a room, but he will light up the land with salvation. Yes, sir. <laughs> because he has a gracious aura. Check it, y'all. Hear me. This is why you can't cop the gift of salvation and ditch the giver of salvation. Yes, sir. No, salvation is found in the presence of this king. And praise the living God, you don't have to go to the king. The king has come down to you. Preach. He's majestic. He's moral. And at this point, you can almost hear the church at that time thinking, think back. Like you, you the people of Israel, you hearing these words for the first time. You're like, yo, this king is majestic and moral. If it was a black church, they would pull out the Hammond B3, start playing some keys. Whole church would be running around in circles. <laughs> like, let's go. The king is coming. Yeah, let's go. And then the preacher, Zechariah, is like, yeah, he feel like he got a church now. He's like, yeah, and he's humbling on a donkey. <laughs> 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 like, yo, what's, what happened to the preacher, man? <laughs> Somebody get that man some tea now, you know what I'm saying? It's like strange. It's very strange. I mean, think about a donkey. <laughs> Ain't nothing tough about a donkey. <laughs> Ain't nothing ferocious about a donkey. Like, listen, so this is my second time being in Louisville. <laughs> I don't know nothing about the sports atmosphere in Louisville. But I can be certain that there is no team called the Louisville Mules. <laughs> Nobody had to tell me. I could, just, I could be certain on that. Like, can you just can you imagine just for a second, like, this is your high school team? Introducing the donkeys. <laughs> it's not tough. Nothing at all tough. 
And yet this is how our king is coming in. Friends, this ain't a king coming in in a militaristic tank. This is a king coming in in a broken down Volkswagen Beetle. Mm. What kind of authority do you have to have to demand that kind of attention and exact that kind of praise coming in on that? Throws you off, right? I believe it threw the people of Israel off when they heard this. I believe this is what threw the people of Israel off in the first century when they saw this. And I believe there are some of you in here who are thrown off right now. What kind of king are you talking about? Throws you off. I remember in the 90s, Mike Tyson, any Mike Tyson fans, there was none in the first service. Mike Tyson fans? All right, my brother, thank you for being bold, bro. One hand. I see that hand way in the back. Like, oh, yo, I see you, bro. I see you. Yeah. I was a Mike Tyson fan. I don't know what Mike Tyson did to the nation, but like nobody likes him all of a sudden. I was a huge Mike Tyson fan. Mike Tyson, talking about battling, right? He would go into these wars in the ring. Done. Done. These aren't kids. These are grown adult males. First round knockouts. So I'm like, yo, Mike Tyson's a man. Mike Tyson's a man. And then for the very first time, I'll never forget it. Very first time, he's doing a post-game, I mean, a post-match interview. And, you know, I'm like, yo, this is the man. This is the man. He's like, yeah, I just wanted to come in and destroy him. <laughs> you don't know if you had that moment where you're, like, looking at somebody's lips like, did he just say that? <laughs> Look. The king of the universe. It's coming in on a mule. It's supposed to throw us off. Because the point, and they missed the point, is not simply that he was fulfilling post-exilic prophecy. The point is that he was trying to display his countercultural identity. Yes, he is majestic. Yes, he is moral. But those two attributes are funneled through this characteristic of humility. And you need him to be like that. For if he was not humble, he would sit high and he would never come down low. Yeah, yeah. If he was not humble, he would take all of the righteousness that he earned and hog it. But instead, he distributes it. It is his humility that makes him not just great and good, but great and good for you. Mm -hmm. Who is this king of glory? Well, not only do we see what he is like, but we also see what he has come to do. His activity. And this is the part in the text where I think we really got to pay attention. There's three things that we're going to see in this text that the king will come and do. First, he will bring peace. Second, he will liberate the captive. Third, he will enlist warriors. The first thing that we see is that he will bring peace. Notice verse 10, it says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from, Euphra from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. 
Do you notice what he has to do before he can bring peace? Before he can bring shalom, he has to disarm the enemy. Mm. Think about it. What makes us weary of our enemy is their weaponry, so the king will come and disarm its weaponry so that we will no longer be weary. Mm. Think about this. Like this, this isn't me talking. This is the text. It says, I will cut off the chariot. The bow of war will be removed. And how? Notice it. Notice it. And he will proclaim word, spoken word, peace to the nations. This is, this is crazy stuff right here. I mean, how many people have faced the weapons of the evil one? Maybe you don't know what those weapons are. <coughs> well, you've been in a series about the desecration of sin, and it is the predatorial and parasitic nature of sin that Satan himself will use against the people of God to thwart us from our call. He will use weapons of guilt. He will use weapons of shame. He will use, hear me, Weapons of depression for regrets of the past and weapons of anxiety for plans in the future. Mm -hmm. And listen to the beauty of this text. Hallelujah. But there is a king who came who disarmed the enemy of all his weapons. Who is this king of glory? And notice how he does it. He don't do it with a weapon himself. He does it just by talking. This king will disarm the enemy of its weapons, not by using a weapon, but by using his word. I mean, think about this. What kind of king do you got to be? And how much authority do you have to have to step into warring nations and Speak and calm comes over the land. Mm. Don't need an AK. He just needs the ABCs. <laughs> Anybody from the hood? You can raise your hand too. There ain't nobody. All right. I'll be alone. My man, my man. He raised that joint high, my man. Um, if you ever been from the hood, spent time in the hood, you'll see fights. You see, real fights. I'm not talking about like, oh, get off. No, man. <laughs> Trying to hurt you. And then you'll see an authority figure, a teacher or something. And he'll come and like try to break out the fight by talking. <laughs> hey, you guys, calm down. <laughs> you ever seen him be like, yes, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> you can scream, yell all you want. You got to at some point put hands on people because they won't stop. Look at the authority of this king that all he has to do is talk and everybody chills out. Who is this king of glory who brings peace? Not only does he bring peace, but he also frees the captive. And I, this is literally my favorite, most emotional aspect of this entire text. Notice it in verse 11. He says, as for you, because of the what? The blood of your covenant. Hallelujah. 
I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Now, I got to paint this picture at this time. When nations were warring against other nations, they would set almost like traps, (laughs) these waterless wells. And then, for those who didn't get trapped into it, whenever they would take captors, they would throw them into these waterless wells. And most theologians talk about this. They talk about the fact that this is the most hopeless kind of captivity. Why? Because you can see the daylight, but never climb your way to freedom. And you can see where the water should be, but never quench your thirst. Imagine sitting in that night after night after night, rotting away. Your freedom's only feet away. You can never get to it. I don't believe this is simply the experience of a few people in the sixth century BC. I believe that this is the experience of every single person who came into this world post Adam and Eve. Some of you come in to this place in the waterless pit of addiction. And you've been trying to climb and crawl your way out to no avail. Some come in the waterless pit suffering. You've been trying to climb and crawl your way out to no avail. One writer says about this, that this is the kind of captivity, hear me, quote, from which there is no escape. Anybody feel that? That you've been in this waterless pit and you feel like there is no escape? But let me finish the quote. (laughs) From which there is no escape, key word, unless. Somebody say unless. One more time, say unless. Unless. One more time, say unless. Unless. Unless somebody from the outside comes and draws you out. (laughs) The text is saying that this is your hope. The text is saying this is your future. The text is saying is that this is what comes with this king, is that he will come from the outside so that he can draw you out of the well and not only draw you out of the well, but provide you living water in the well. Yeah, yeah. That's what this king will do. Amen. But again, I ask, who is this king of glory? Mm. Because check it, he don't just draw him out of the pit. Did you notice the text after that? He says, return to the stronghold. He provides them with a place of refuge. And here is this beautiful bibliotheological couplet of mercy and grace. Mercy says, I'll draw you out of the pit. Grace says, I'll provide for you a stronghold. Mm. Mercy says, I'm going to pull you out of the depth of vulnerability. Grace says, I'll place you in the heights of invincibility. Mercy says, I'll forgive you. Grace says, I'll make you an heir. Yeah, yeah. Mercy says, there's no more wrath. Hallelujah, grace says, but there is a lavishing of love. Preach, pastor. And not only that... He says, I'm going to do it double time. Somebody say double time. Double time. That's the text. 
This is why there's a song that we used to sing in the church I was in. It's like, there's a whole bunch of songs that I just don't understand in the church. Anybody else with me there? All right, cool. We on, we on good ground. There's a song we used to sing. Was, Let's get back to eating and sitting on top of the world. Now, as I thought about the song, like real rap, as I thought about the song, like I get what they're saying. And even sometimes I read commentaries who are all about getting back to eating and I get what they're saying. But check it. We are not trying to get back. We are following a king to the beyond. (laughs) Because notice the difference of the redemptive history. Back there was a garden. Up here is a garden city. Back there, there were two people. Up here, Pete Revelation 7, there's a number that nobody could number. And back there, the diversity was man and woman. But up here, the, the, the diversity is all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations standing around the throne of God. See, God always outdoes the original. That's our kind of God. Yeah, yeah. That's our king. But again, I ask, who is this king? Glory. And then the last thing he does after he brings peace, after we recognize that he will free the captive, last thing he does is he enlists warriors. Look at the artistry of language here. In verse 13, it says, For I will bend Judah as my bow. I will fill that bow with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece, I will make you like a warrior's sword. Here's the picture. The picture is of this king taking Ephraim as a bow and taking Zion as an arrow and pointing it to all the enemies of God saying, People of Israel are hype at this point. He's going to defeat our enemies. Let's go. And then they forget the part. You're the arrow. (laughs) How is God going to defeat his enemies? He's going to use you. But check it. This king has not changed. It's not at this point that he's going to somehow pick up a sword. No. He's still using his word. This is why people of God hear me. You are his arrow to do what? To proclaim the word of the gospel of the kingdom by proclaiming the glory of the king. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Who is this king of glory? Who is this majestic king of glory? Who is this moral king of glory? Who is this humble king of glory? Who is this peacemaking king of glory? Who is this captive freeing king of glory? Who is this warrior enlisting king of glory? I submit to you that I know of no man in all of human history who fulfills all of those things except for the one who was born in Bethlehem of Judah. Healing folks in the city, feeding folks who were hungry, none other than the one named Jesus of Nazareth, our Messiah. Amen. Jesus is the majestic king of glory. 
For John says in Revelation that he is indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the moral King of glory. For the writer of Hebrews says that he has been tempted in every way. What? Just as we are. What? Yet without sin. Yes, sir. Jesus is the humble king of glory. For Paul in the early church wrote this hymn together, sang this hymn together that said though he was in the what? Form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus yes, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the humble King of glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friends, he don't just come to make peace. Paul says in Ephesians, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He doesn't just come to free the captive, but he is indeed what his name says. The Lord is salvation. This is why Paul can say in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has come to set you free. Mm. And yeah, you're his warriors. But do you know how that occurred? Because he had to send the spirit of grace into your life so that you can actually be effective as you preach his word and penetrating the hearts of those who would one day be, would once be his enemies, but will now be called family. Mm. How did he do all of this? It's what we call Holy Week. (laughs) But can I just submit something to you? Maybe it should be called Humble Week. Because the way that he would do all that stuff that we're excited about is actually by humility. Palm Sunday, humble, riding on a donkey. Right after that, the text of John's gospel says that he's humble and kneeling on the ground, wiping away the desecration of sin off of the disciples' feet, signifying what he was going to do on Good Friday where he was humble, hanging on a cross, and then he's buried, humble, lying in a tomb. Mm. Oh, Holy Week is just nothing more than Humble Week. And at this point, I could see how someone walking in from off the street would call this a memorial service. That's why we're probably quiet. But do you know that we don't serve no dead Savior? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know we don't serve a dead Savior? Did you know that we don't serve a dead king? But this Jesus of Nazareth literally got up on Sunday, on that third day, rose with all victory in his hands over all of your enemies so that you can now know that you have conquered by the conquering king. That's why this ain't no memorial service. For at a memorial service, we come to pay respects to those who died. Yes, sir. No, this is a church service. Because at a church service, we come to pay homage to the one who died and rose again. Amen. So I ask today, do you know this king? This king of glory, Jesus Christ. If you do not know him today, I'm begging you. 
I don't mind getting on my knees. I am begging you with all that is in me. Please submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It will be the best decision you have ever made. But hear me, Christians. Those of us who already know that King. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.